How, how, how many of you had a roof over your head this past week? Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Now, you notice I didn't I, I did not I did not try to develop any kind of classism here whatsoever. And we're and, and, and we don't have class envy here. Right. You know, so it doesn't I didn't say how many of you had a McMansion roof over your head. I didn't ask that question, did I? Right. And I, neither did I ask, you know, how many bottom line is you got a roof over your head. Right. How, how, how many of you had a job to go to this week? OK, how, how many of you? Uh, had something to eat when you got hungry this week. If you weren't fasting or, okay, you had something to eat, right? I just want to make sure here. How, how, how many of you were free to go and do throughout this given city as you so wish? Okay. How, how, how many? How, oh, I could just keep going, but, you know, we, I got to condense this thing. Bottom line is, sounds like you guys got it pretty good. Sounds like I got it pretty good. How, how, how many of you realize that you are in a country, that you are in a country that gives you the free rights? When you are a citizen, I do need to quantify that because I don't know why, but we got certain politicians that must not know the Constitution. But anyway, how many of you understand? When, because you are a citizen of the greatest country in the entire world, which is the good old U.S. of A., the United States of America, how many of you realize and are thankful that you can achieve and do anything that you so desire and no one can keep you down. The only people that go around saying, people keep me down, are victims. And last time I checked, ain't no victims in the kingdom of God. And ain't no victims here. Turn to a few people and say, ain't no victims here. We live in the freest, greatest country in the entire world. Are there a couple issues that still need to be resolved? Absolutely. But as far as a republic is concerned a, and, 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 a, and, a, and a democracy involved within that, uh, the framers were, were beyond geniuses. They were absolutely because we, we you know, you know, we this is not a democratic nation. You know, this is really not a democracy. It adheres to democracy in certain principles, but this is not a democracy. This nation, one of the few nations in the entire world in the history of ancient history, even that it is not a democracy. It is a republic. And then most people must not understand that. But anyway, that's why our government is structured the way it is. So in this great republic of which we reside in, you can have the freedom to do and to be whatever you want. To. OK, how, how, how many of you how many of you got an education? At least, at least you graduated from the eighth grade. Let's just back up. How many of you, you you chose to go to high school or, or you got the equivalent of a high school education diploma? OK, how many of you from that point on you chose to go to college? Now, were you not were you not allowed to go to college? Did someone say no because of the family you come from? You can't go. You know that is the way in many in many nations. You know that, don't you? So sounds like we got pretty good here. Last time I checked, this nation doing pretty good. So now we got that settled. Overall, outside of some issues every now and then that arise, because we know the enemy is always going to try to mess with us. How many of you would say you got a pretty good life? I know what you really want to, what you really want to uh, 
say amen to is how many of you would you say you got an extremely blessed life, wonderful life, right? The list goes on, right? So, so you must be thankful for that, right? Are we continually giving God thanks for the life that we have? Now, in weeks to come, we'll even learn that faith also is always connected to thanksgiving and a heart of thankfulness. We're going to start here in the book of Colossians. We're, I'm, going to, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit. I was just going to read one verse, but you know what? Let's just set this, this table, if you will, today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, as you well know, Paul the Apostle wrote the book of Colossians. It, it only had a couple errors as far as the church there in that given city. Uh, Colossae, the, the ancient city of Colossae, it was a, it was a marvelous city in many regards. Uh, it, was, it was more known for its affluence than it was for even its blue-collar uh, constituents. But anyway, it, it had across the board, it had a, just a great mix of different socioeconomic uh, 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 types of people and diversity there. And anyway, uh, it, it did definitely pride itself on a lot of major universities in the ancient world. And so there, there was like this higher learning that just kind of lurked, if you will, in the atmosphere. And I say lurked, used in a, in, in, a, in a positive sense, if that can actually be used. Because if you'll notice this, if you're actually in tune in the spirit, wherever you go in a given city, you'll notice there's a prevailing spirit there. And they fall under, of course, principalities and powers that rule and govern that given geographical location. But anyway, so is the case since ancient times. But anyway, so Colossus was this, in, in many regards, it wasn't in Athens by any means as far as the, the level of intelligentsia, but it's still, or even Corinth, but it still held its own, if you will, didn't have to take a back seat to any, any city. So what did eventually creep in is because, you know, uh, people who think they're smarter than God... And when they do get saved or halfway saved, uh, they, uh, they, they, they begin to change and want to alter and implement things that are not even remotely founded in the canon of Scripture, what we call the Bible. So what, one of the things they began to do, they began to develop this veneration of people and even angels. They began to worship angels. And then some, how far you want me to trail off on this? How far? Okay, so they begin to even worship angels. Some of the leaders... There did. That's why Paul had to set that in order, had to rebuke and, set, and so forth. But anyway, and, 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 and bring some disciplinary action uh, to that very issue. It was complete heresy is that they began to worship angels to the point that they were getting messages from angels. Anyone ever heard of the angel Moroni? Every, every Christian should have. Well, the angel Moroni delivered this new religion, this new book, this new way of worshiping God is called Mormonism. So just for what that's worth, you see when things are left unchecked, what eventually can happen? So when you see Mormon temples, that angel blowing that trumpet, that's Moroni. That was the angel that came to Joseph Smith and gave him another gospel. That's when Paul says that anyone comes to you even, a, even a, a messenger, even an angel in light, they come to you and they preach another gospel, let them be a curse. Don't you ever, ever receive them? Don't you ever think they're from God? So anyway, back to this. So that, that started creeping in. See, there again, there's nothing new under the sun. 
There's not, Satan can't create anything. He has to go back like Hollywood. He has to go back and he has to just kind of alter it a little bit and just shine it up a little bit, get it through the Madison Avenue marketing mill and present it to people and gullible people say, oh, I'm going to go watch this. Well, don't you really? Anyway, so bottom line is, is that's how Satan works. So this started there again, first century church. Paul rebuked that. Other than that, the church was solid. And that was just fragments of the church. Paul dealt with that. They, they, they cast out those who wouldn't adhere to the gospel. And they, they became really strong and solid across the board from there on out, overall, throughout history even. Verse 1, if ye then uh, be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sit on the right hand of God. Everyone should say amen to that, right? Amen. Meaning that things of this world, I'm going to tell you something, they, they diminish really fast. And it's sad, but too many Christians are governed by society instead of governed by the word of God. Verse two, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. I just kind of exegeted that. We'll just keep moving. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I got a lot of things hid in Christ. Can I help you with this? Listen, listen, some of that stuff, you, you, you need to keep it hid. You don't need to be telling everybody everything you did B.C., before Christ, okay? Some of those things the Lord's trying to tell you, this scripture alone is saying, listen, listen, I've hid that, meaning I've covered that. It's covered by the blood. Why don't you keep that one to yourself? Why don't you keep that in your vault until you die? Because it ain't going to help anybody if you share that. But anyway, because they're going to look at you differently from now on. But anyway. Do you notice that? It seems like there's this one upmanship in the body of Christ. It's like, who can get, who can get a little bit more dramatic and, 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 and who can tell a more vivid, storied past of their past so that people are, anyway, so some of you know where I'm coming from there. When Christ, who is your life, he is your life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. We're talking, he's talking about, of course, the complete transfiguration, the glorification when we die, or of course, when he re returns and, and he, we re he receives unto himself. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon earth, referring to things in our life. We need to put to death. We need to completely absent ourselves from fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, inordinate affection. You see a lot of that, meaning it's not natural. I, I'll go on. Evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. I'm purposely reading from the King James Version because when you etymologize those words, then you get the full picture of what they mean and how they are relevant today. For, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in which, in which we also walked some time when we lived in them. Somebody say, at one time we walked in that stuff. We walked in that world. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. You put on the new man, the new man. See, the old man is dead. The new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Oh, there's an eight-week series right there. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarians, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Bottom line, he's saying, listen, listen, we're all one in Christ. Paul almost uses that same scripture verbatim in the book of Galatians. We're all one in Christ because there again, 
You had, you know, people either from a superiority platform or an inferiority platform started playing the race card one way or another. The race card is played. It still is today. There again, nothing new under the sun. No, bottom line is this. Your race, your race doesn't exist when you are born again. That's what Paul is referring to. He said, we're all one in Christ. Now, granted, even though we have different skin pigmentations, might have been born different parts of the world and all of that, Paul was the first one to say, listen, if, if, if you start hyphenating yourself, you're going to separate us all. When you hyphenate, you separate. When you hyphenate, you separate. In, in, in a local church, there are no hyphenated people. We're all one. We are all children of the Most High God. We are all Christians. I'm not saying that deserves a round of applause, not because I said it, but the truth of it is. So, and which, which I'm not saying you have to completely abandon and forsake uh, your, your, your upbringing and, you know, and, 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 certain, and certain fond memories that you still have, you know, practiced in, in, in your life and you've, you've uh, transferred a lot of that even into your children. Uh, from different cultural backgrounds and experiences. I'm not saying that. That's fine. You do that. That's wonderful. And when you have those certain wonderful food items, please invite me over. My family will come and enjoy. I love culture. I love it. But anyway, so that, that's not the issue. The issue is this. Let's, we're all one in Christ. The only way we can stay united is that we make sure we're not divided. Right? So then he goes on and said, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Bowels of mercy, so the, the deepest recesses of your spirit, your soul, you should have mercy, amen? Make sure there's kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. I'm preaching the choir here, you know, but you know, have you ever noticed this, though? When you are a, a, over, you're a kind person, but certain people who aren't kind, they provoke you, and they see a, 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 for a moment at least, a flashpoint that you're not kind for a moment, and then they want to crucify you. Oh, look at you. You call yourself a Christian. It's like you want to say, hey, idiot, I've been dealing with your cutting remarks. I've been dealing with your belittling. I've been dealing with your demeaning remarks for me for a long time. And you better believe I'm going to rise up eventually because I have more self-respect and self-worth that I understand that I'm not going to be talked to that way and you're not going to treat me that way. Now, that sermon for somebody here who needs that. You like that, huh? You want me to delve into a little bit more? But anyway, but overall, I'm talking to some of the most merciful people, some of the kindest people. But there again, everyone has their limitations, right? I mean, come on. The only time Jesus was a, was a 100% personified pacifist, okay, was when the moment his mock trial began to occur only then. Before that, he wasn't a pacifist. Oh, you mean, you mean, you mean he, he picked up sword and went to war? No, 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 because there are levels of pacifism. He was not a social or relational pacifist. Somebody needs to hear this. He was not a social or relational pacifist. Let me give you just a couple of scriptural examples real quick on this, Okay. Because of the great volume and depth of the understanding of the word of God I have, 
I can do this. No notes. But anyway, case in point. Where do we want to start, Holy Spirit? Okay, he said start here. How about this? Or the end of his ministry, he definitely was not a relational pacifist. You know, when he walked into the house of God and it was being used as a place of monetary extortion, that was the bottom line. It was being used as a place, like the mafioso, the mafia were at one end and the cartel were at the other end, and they were, they were extorting the people of God who came there to worship the Lord, to purchase sacrifices, right, for, the, for, the, for that given feast of Passover. So anyway, he got extremely upset. Tell me what he did. I, I, I forgot. I only read it one time. And it, tell me what he did. He turned the money changers over, their tables over. And then remember this, before that, he made a whip. Now he's outside. He came in, he goes outside, and he goes, now you ever think about this stuff? And remember, he did this at the beginning of his earthly ministry, and he did it at the close of his earthly ministry. He did it twice. The first time he did it, you know, John picks up on it, goes, hmm. He got some revelation. Oh, I know this is a Messiah because I remember reading the book of Psalms when I, since I was a boy that the zeal of the Lord's house has consumed me. Oh, now I realize that was a Messianic prophecy. So anyway, Jesus, he, he makes a whip first outside. He's in the parking lot. He goes to his Mercedes Benz, opens the trunk up. I don't think he went to his Prius. But anyway, <laughs> you don't think he went to his Mercedes Benz? If you want to say he drove a Prius, that ain't my Jesus. But anyway, my Jesus will not be caught in a Prius. Now, if you drive one, ain't nothing wrong with that. You better pray that he's in there with you too, though. But anyway, so get great gas mileage. Oh, that's good. But <laughs> skateboard will run you over. But anyway, so he does that intentionally willfully and he just you know, he just goes he just goes berserk on the people twice how many times did he confront the pharisees and sadducees face to face and told them what he thought of them now I, last time i checked that is not in the book of relational etiquette and relational pacifism right you know, he, he wasn't the kind that said, you know what? I'm just going to bite my tongue so I can keep the peace. He said, I don't think so. Now, there again, do, do we believe that Jesus is the Christ? I know, this, I know we know that. We, it's a loaded question, rhetorical, at best even. Okay, do we also believe that he did everything perfect? Ooh. Oh, there should have been a resounding amen on that one. I wasn't a trick question, guys, because if we believe he is the Christ, we also are believing along with a lot of ancillary auxiliary items that he possesses and pervades. We also automatically kind of do the checklist on that. He's also perfect in all of his life. We were singing it earlier about he's a good, good father, of course, our father in heaven. But the son also is ascribed the same thing is that he is a, he is good. He is infinitely and eternally good, right? He is perfect in all of his ways. Like this, has Jesus messed up your life at all at any time? 
Okay, he's perfect in all of his ways. There again, not a trick question. I'm going to ask it again. Do we believe, you guys get me wound up here. Do we believe that Jesus is perfect in all of his ways? Okay. So, so when he, when he did everything in his life, remember he said, I do nothing except the Father show me. I say nothing. I speak nothing. Unless the Father tells me or gives me, actually, what that, what that is in the phrase there, it's real interesting. Unless my Father speaks it first and gives me permission to say it. So everything he said and did, it was, it was completely perfect. It should have been done. It was sanctioned and ordained by God for him to do it. If he was chasing people with a whip or telling people to their face, you are a pit of vipers. You are walking death that actually pulls people into their grave. So anyway, and a lot of stronger stuff than that even. So anyway, long story short, let's continue our reading. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Uh, You know, uh, over the decades I've seen this happen. People get at odds with someone in the church. And uh, they'll go to another church. And you, you know what the Lord does? You know what the Lord makes sure of? That same person is going to sit right next to him. Now, they look different. They're older or younger. Maybe different color skin, different dress, different uh, area where they grew up and all of that. But the Lord makes sure the same person with those same idiosyncrasies and those same items, they begin to attach themselves to that person. So they leave that church, and then before you know it, over eight years' time, they've gone to 12 different churches. Now they ain't going anywhere because, you know, oh, I'm getting too close to home with some of you, I guess, huh? But anyway, so it just happened. So bottom line, man, you got to learn to get along with people. People have, start having a quarrel against the pastor, you know. He talks too much, doesn't talk enough, preaches too long, preaches too short, and the list goes on and on and on and on. He's too deep, not deep enough. Gives too much history, not enough history, and just, just whatever it is, you know, just whatever it is. And there again, they go from this place to that place to this place. The thing about it is they got a quarrel within themselves. They have a quarrelsome spirit. The Bible even refers to them as, you, anyone, anyone ever, you, you ever try to work with people who are just quarrelsome? You just can't, it's just like, nah. I, I'm, gonna tell, I'm probably one of the most blessed places in my life, I've ever been in my life, is because I don't have to deal with quarrelsome people. I don't have to deal with quarrelsome people. I, I, I don't. I don't. And when I interview certain people for certain projects I'm doing, uh, I can tell in about, about 90 seconds. Nah, 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 nah. Oh, I thought you were a Christian. I sure am, and I'm a wise one too. Why in the world would I want to bring someone in who's, who has a troubled spirit and a troubled soul? Now, it's different if the Lord begins to open the door where you can really minister to them and, and help them come to the knowledge of the truth. But there are some people, man, I'm going to tell you something. They are their own worst enemy. So I've learned, you know what? I got enough devils. Don't need you coming into my life. You know, Thank you, but no. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call you when we need you. <laughs> anyway. But don't hold your breath because we ain't calling you. But anyway. Above all these things, put on charity, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, of perfectness. Amen. 
Love is the bond that keeps us all together. It keeps us together in our own life even, correct? Let the peace of God, that's what I'm going to focus on. Let the peace of God, oh, let it rule in your hearts. Amen? You know, earlier when we were worshiping and we were singing, you're a good, good father, it's who you are. You could sense the peace of God, couldn't you? You could sense the peace of God in this place and upon you. Do you know that's not supposed to just be on Sunday morning in praise and worship? It's up to you to step into that peace. It's up to you to walk and live in that type of peace. The peace of God which passes understanding, it shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If it's not keeping our hearts and minds, then we are willfully, willfully abstaining from the peace of God. We got to go on. There's so much here. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And it comes down to that. It has to rule in your heart. Troubles may come. Storms may rush through you uh, momentarily or even for an extended period of time. But if you have the peace of God that's ruling in your heart, let me help you with this real quick. Like This is how you can determine if you have the peace of God ruling in your heart. When the storm does come, when the setback happens, whatever is going on in your life that is unpleasant, He's a broad brush stroke there. Anything that's unpleasant in your life, this is how you can tell if the, if the peace of God is ruling in your heart, is that after the initial shock, if you will, the initial disgruntlement, frustration, whatever it is, right, depending on what level uh, you, you just dealt with, after that initial shock, there should be peace within you. It shouldn't be a prolonged shock that now causes shock waves to occur for days, weeks, months at a time. Let me help you with this. What's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? The ultimate worst thing that we think could happen. You could die, right? Well, I thought we were ready. I'm losing everyone now. That one just went way over the cliff because we really don't like to talk about that. Even To which also you are called in one body and be thankful. You know, I read all that to get to that last stanza of Scripture in verse 15. Bottom line, you know, you know what this is, don't you? And even the following verse in Colossians 3, and, and basically most all Pauline epistles are, they're what I call spiritual housekeeping and house cleaning. That's what they are. They are spiritual housekeeping and house cleaning. And, and as you well know, you need, in the natural, you need to keep your house, you need to clean your house. Okay, we'll try that one again, too. Hmm. I'm just striking out across the board here. Or maybe just so deep, you're, you're writing this down, right? You have to keep your house, you got to clean your house. Every single day, you're doing that. You should be keeping your house, and you should be cleaning your house every single day. I don't know about you, but I, well, I know about you in this regard. But I mean, come on, no one likes to live in filth. No one likes to live in shambles of a house and see the thing falling in and all of that, because eventually they'll go back to the earth. Believe me, eventually they will crumble, decay, and go back to earth. So you're keeping house, you're maintaining it, and then you're cleaning that house, right? So you do spiritually. Every single day you need to be doing that. 
You need to be keeping your house. We're referred to as a house of God, right? Not only is a, a, a local church building referred to as a house of God, wherever Christians meet, this is a house of God right here, right? But also we individually are house of God. So we need to be keeping our house every day, meaning it, keeping it check, make sure nothing's crumbling, make sure our faith isn't crumbling, make sure our hope isn't crumbling, make sure that everything's still looking good, looking nice, right? And then also... Also, we need to be keeping it clean. Get the junk out. Get the junk out. One way to get rid of the junk is to have a garage sale. So get, get the junk out of your life. Just, just sell it back to the devil. The Bible says he's supposed to resource sevenfold. So I say, you know what? I've been carrying this junk here. I want you, now, now I demand you to pay me seven times for this junk. I, anyway, so anyway, I got to keep going though. As, as, as maybe non-beneficial as all that was, no, it was beneficial because it's from the Word of God. Now, that was my opening. And, and I only have about 10 minutes left. Bottom line, look at this. Thankful. Isn't this interesting? All those other things. He's talking about faith and love and mercy, and he's talking about getting along with people. And he's, he's just going, he's running the whole gamut of how we should keep and conduct ourselves in the house of God, with the people of God, in the world, all of that, Right? You know, stop, stop being so tethered and so tied to what's going on in this world and, and the social events and this and that. It's like, man, you ain't missing nothing. You ain't missing nothing. Tell somebody you ain't missing nothing out there. So anyway, so Paul deals with all of that, right? And bam, he comes to this, which I want to focus on, and he says, be thankful. Turn to somebody and say, be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. Thankful. I'm going to try to wrap this up in about 15 minutes. Let's see if we can do it some justice here. Bottom line is this. Let me take you behind the scene, if you will, for 37, approximately 37 plus years. And I don't say that to be, you know, sound so virtuous and all of that. I'm not apologizing for it either. By the grace of God, for 37 plus years, seven days a week, regardless how I felt, didn't feel, what I was doing, what I wasn't doing, nothing like, nothing came came in conflict with doing this every single day, first, first thing in the morning, or at least within the first hour of given morning, and that is this. I spend some time with God. And I start my time out with God, my time alone with God. I start by thanking Him. So I, I know I'm preaching the choir here, but... I, saw, I don't ask anything yet. I don't ask, don't petition, don't intercede even, nothing. I just start by thanking him. Sometimes what happens, like it's happened to you, your prayer time is up and all you've been is doing is thanking him. And one thing I've discovered is this. If you didn't get time, if you didn't, get, if you didn't have the time to get to the, the, thank, the, the asking and the petitioning, Lord, I need this and all that, you know one thing I've discovered? Your thanksgiving will cover your asking. I've discovered that. Your thanksgiving, a thankful spirit, a thankful heart. I can tell you what, what moves the hand and heart of God, bottom line is this, it's faith. We know that, right? It is faith, right? But there again, we're going to look at this more fully next week. I said it already earlier. I'm going to say it again. Thanksgiving is a language of faith. And when God finds his people who are thankful, 
for everything that he's done for them, that is them saying from a thankful heart, God, I realize if it had not been you who was on my side, I would not be alive right now. I wouldn't be here right now. I might not be where I, where I would like to be. It might not be the person I should be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be. And thank God I'm a lot farther than where I used to be. For more information about our teaching resources, visit our website at ciclive.com.